We're going to join, start here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning, we do recognize that you are the Lord of not just yesterday, not just today, but even tomorrow. You're a sovereign God. You are in complete control. Even the powers of darkness bow to your will. And so, Lord, even as we just confessed in song, what do we have to fear? What is there that can harm us? Or as Paul asks in Romans 8, what is there that can separate us from the love of God? He who even gave us his own son, will he not give us all things in Christ? So, Heavenly Father, this morning we come confidently, we come boldly in Christ alone before you. We come confident not just in this day, but confident even in the future. Confident that you, our faithful God, will fulfill all the promises that you have given us. Heavenly Father, this morning we come thankful for the fathers that you have given us. For many of us, for godly men who taught and modeled for us the truth of the word of God. We pray that you would give us, Lord, the strength and the wisdom to be godly fathers and grandfathers to stand fast in the truth and to model it with our lives. We pray even in this passage this morning that you would be honored in all that we say and do. Use this to challenge us, Lord, through your word. Give me boldness and authority to preach the word of God with clarity that you may be honored. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You ever heard the phrase, a hard pill to swallow? Or a tough pill to swallow? Often we use this phrase referring to someone who finds themselves in a, in a difficult situation. Or a situation in which someone just has to suck it up and move on. Just deal with it. You have to accept it. A tough pill for me to swallow in my own life. And I shouldn't use this illustration. This is going to sound bad. I love where the Lord has me. But a tough pill for me to swallow in my own life was coming to the realization that the Lord had different plans for my life than I did. I've mentioned before how the, the Lord, through really miraculous circumstances, led me to where I am. I grew up in a family where my dad in South Carolina has his own cleaning business, a very successful business, and a business that, for my life, whole life, I planned on taking that over. I started working in that business in middle school. In high school, I had my own library branch that I cleaned. I've used that for an illustration before. That was my plan, to stay in Greenville, to help my dad, to build up his business, and then eventually to buy it from him and take it over myself. I lived and breathed cleaning. You wouldn't know it if you walked in our house today, but back then I did. I loved it. 
for years, even after moving to Indiana and the first ministry the Lord took Chris and I to. Even there, I kind of held on to that possibility. In my mind, I'm just coming to Indiana for a few years, and then maybe the Lord will take me back to South Carolina, and then I can pick up where I left off. In fact, even coming to Iowa for the first year or two, I was still holding on to that. I can't tell you how many times I'd go home to Krista after a tough week or something and just be like, I just I don't know if I'm cut out for this. Maybe, maybe the Lord's just using this to grow me, and then I'll go back and be a great deacon in South Carolina. It wasn't that I didn't enjoy the ministry or don't enjoy the ministry. In fact, now looking back, I praise the Lord for how he led me and the opportunities that he opened up to me that I could never have dreamed of. In fact, even looking back, I see now even how through cleaning, the Lord was preparing me. Cleaning is one of those jobs where you can listen to something while you're doing it. You don't really have to engage your mind very much. So I, I spent hours listening to sermon after sermon after sermon and podcast after podcast where they were talking about different church matters and issue matters or, or Bible issues. And that helped to, to shape my thinking. The Lord used that preaching to grow me into the man that he would have me to be. That's time I wouldn't have had if I wasn't cleaning. And the Lord all along was preparing me for where he has me today. So it's not that I don't love the ministry. I recognize that the Lord's plan for my life is good. It was just tough to come to terms with. It was a whole different life plan than I had planned or expected for. Planned for or expected. It was a tough pill to swallow. See, a tough pill to swallow is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a hard thing to accept. We get that. We understand the phrase. Because we've all had to take pills. And the bigger they get, the harder they are to swallow. And yet there's a reason we're taking them, is there not? Normally, because they're good for us. We need them. We need to be reminded of these things. And that's the passage we come to this morning. The passage we come to today is a tough pill to swallow. It's not a message that we like to hear. You see, the call to submit, especially when it comes to submission to government, that is a tough pill to swallow. In fact, it's all the more tough because we are coming out of a time with COVID when our government has shown us that they're not trustworthy. Can I tell you something? We are not unique in the history of the world in the fact that we live under an untrustworthy government. In fact, as we turn our attention to 1 Peter 2 this morning, do you remember the context of 1 Peter? The context in which this very passage is written? It's not as if Peter is writing to believers living under the rule of a godly and trustworthy king. Peter is writing to believers under the rule 
of a king who is historically famous for his cruelty. Of a king who at the very time as Peter is writing this, the whole reason behind this book is because this king is ramping up pressure and persecution against these believers. It is not just their freedom that is at stake. It is not just issues of wearing a mask or not that is at stake as Peter writes this. It's not freedom. It's their very lives that are at stake. And it's in this context that we come to this remarkable passage. So I would call you, I would warn you here at the beginning that this is a tough pill to swallow. But set aside your political opinions. At the end of the service, if you're mad with me, that's fine. But for now, understand that this is the word of God. Set aside your political opinions and accept the word of God. Submit to the word of God. Today we'll see the call to submit, to serve, and to honor. First thing we see, 1 Peter 2, verses 13 to 14, is the call to submit. Again, we see one of these transition words, therefore, at the beginning of verse 13. Therefore, coming out of what we just saw last week, therefore, because of who you are, Do you remember what Peter said about who you are? You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim his praises. The praises of who? The praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You who once were not a people, you're now the people of God. You who who had not obtained mercy, you now have obtained mercy. That is who you are. You are his own special possession, chosen by him. But not just who you are, but also the second half of what we looked at last week, because of where you are. Where are you? That's what we see in verses 11 to 12. You are not home. You're an exile, you're a pilgrim, a sojourner here in this world. Your home, your hope is in another kingdom, a kingdom that is coming. And your life right now is lived here. So, as Peter goes on, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Don't live like you're a citizen here. But have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, because of who you are and because of where you are, therefore, submit. Submit. It's a powerful word here. It carries the idea of obey. In fact, MacArthur notes this. 
that it is a military term meaning to arrange under a commander, to rank yourself underneath. I've never been in the military, but from what I understand, when a ranking officer tells you to do something, you don't really have any wiggle room there. You obey. You are ranked underneath him. You submit to him. In fact, submit here, the idea is not just your action, but it's really just generally an attitude of submission. It is to live a life recognizing this, not just an action, but even an attitude. Maybe it's best summed up in a phrase that my mom would often use with her kindergartners in her class. She would use it with us at home, too. She would always say, obey sweetly and completely. With the right attitude and the right actions, sweetly and completely. Because of who you are and because of where you are, brothers and sisters, submit sweetly and completely. Submit yourselves to who? To every ordinance of man. To every ordinance of man. The idea of the ordinance of men, it is a human institution. It's the laws and decrees that come down from those human institutions. Specifically, it is the men who lead that, as we'll see going on, whether to the king or to governors. It is to those in authority and the government behind them and the laws and decrees that they hand down. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Now here's a question that we must ask ourselves at this point. Does Peter really mean every? Because again, understand the context. He's writing to those under persecution by this very government and king that he's, of whom he's writing here. And yet, as we look at the passage, there is no qualification here. In fact, the only qualification that we ever see in Scripture anywhere to the expectation that a Christian submit is when those in authority try to force the Christian to do what explicitly goes against the Constitution. Is that, is that what it says? No. No. It's not what goes against the Constitution. It is what explicitly goes against Scripture. But how often do we get those two mixed? What explicitly goes against Scripture, as you see in Acts 4, verses 18 to 20, or verses 5, verses 28 to 29, if it doesn't explicitly go against Scripture or what God has said, then there is no qualification anywhere else in Scripture. 
Brothers and sisters, this is a passage that you cannot get around. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of men. He goes on to define where these ordinances come from or who these are in authority, whether to the king as supreme, that is, the highest earthly authority, Right, that, That's expected. We've seen that in other passages, that yes, I should submit to the king, I should submit to those who are in authority, I get that, but Peter here takes it a step further. Not just to the king, who's the supreme authority in the land, but even to governors. And don't think just specifically governors as, as we understand in our American system, but that, that term refers to pretty much everyone who has authority underneath the king. From the second in command down to the local police. Not just to the supreme authority of the land, but to every state and local level going down as well. Submit to him. Those governors, they are those who are sent by him. The him there is likely referring back to the king himself. Why is it that we should submit all the way down? Because they are exercising the authority given to them by the king. They're an extension of his rule. And what is the role of government? What is it that they are doing? Why is it that God has given them this authority? So we see here at the end of verse 14. For the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. To punish evil and to praise or promote goodness. This is the purpose of government. We see that also in Romans 13, verses 1 to 7. Punish evildoers, praise those who do good. And note this. That Peter is not naive in assuming that human government always fulfills this role perfectly. He knows that. His readers know that. In fact, they're experiencing that currently as he writes this to them. And yet, he still writes it. Because their failure to fulfill the role given to them by God does not excuse my failure to obey what God has commanded me. Their failure does not negate my responsibility. So brothers and sisters, submit. Submit to those in authority over you. Yet there's one phrase in there that we skipped over. Partway through verse 13, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of men for the Lord's sake. You see, our submission to government is a direct result of our submission to the Lord. It is a confession of his sovereign rule evidenced in our obedient submission. I submit not because of my high regard for the king, but because of my love for and trust in God. Let me ask you this. Is your God bigger than your government? I would submit to you that he is. 
I would submit to you that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, as scripture tells us. I would submit to you that even if it doesn't seem like it, that man is there because God has put him there. In fact, Romans 13 explicitly says to go against that is to deny the goodness of God and to deny what God has placed there. So recognize that the government that you are living underneath, those who are ruling, have been placed there by God. And you are to submit, not because of their sake, you're to submit for the Lord's sake. You submit to them because you are submitted to him. And that is what he expects. Secondly, something else I think is important to note here is the flow of the passage from exile to good citizen. You see, up to this point in 1 Peter, Peter has been harping on this idea of an exile or a pilgrim. This world is not your home. Your home is is a, a kingdom that is coming. That is where your citizenship is. Your hope is in heaven. And yet, as we see here in this passage, your identity as an exile does not excuse your responsibility as a citizen. We are not to abandon this world as as in anticipation of the next. Rather, we are to reach this world with the good news of the next. We are left here to be good citizens for the Lord's sake, recognizing that my hope is not tied to here, But while I'm here, I have responsibility. While I am here, I will be a faithful citizen, not for my sake, but for the Lord's sake. So the first thing we see is the call to submit. Explicitly stated right here. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Secondly, verses 15 to 16, we see the call to serve then. For this is the will of God. Let me just pause right there and say that if there is a hint anywhere in Scripture for you to listen, it's where it says, this is God's will. When Pastor Humberg, I I opened with the illustration of uh, how the Lord led me to where I was. And when Chris and I were in our ministry in Indianapolis, Pastor Humberg called me out of the blue one day and said, hey, do you know anybody, you know, Pastor Ryan has resigned. Do you know anybody who'd be interested in, you know, an assistant pastor position, being a youth pastor? And I thought, I was like, I, I don't think so. I mean, I can, I can ask my grandpa, I can call down to Bob Jones, see if there's any openings that I'm aware of, anyone looking, and, and I'll get back to you. I never heard from, from anyone down there. And so uh, I just waited a couple weeks. Two weeks later, Pastor Humber called me again. Anyone, anyone come up? No. No, no, no one's, I don't know. So that was the end of that conversation. I remember telling Krista, like, why in the world is he calling me? Is it just because he thinks I have connections to Bob Jones? I, I don't understand it. Finally, a third time, Pastor Humber called me, and he just came right out and said, Josh, I'm asking if, if you're interested. I'm trying to gauge your interest in this. I missed the hint. <laughs> so brothers and sisters, don't miss this hint. This is a clue to pay attention. Anytime scripture says, this is God's will, you should probably listen to that. 
So this is the will of God. That you, by doing good, that doing good is tied back to the idea of submitting yourselves to every ordinance of man. It is being a good citizen that you, by doing that, may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. God's will is that by being a good citizen, by submitting, you will, file, you will silence false accusations and assumptions about Christians. Those accusations and assumptions that he referenced, that Peter referenced back in verse 12. And verse 12 says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, these accusations, these assumptions they have about Christians, Your work of being a good citizen, of submitting under the authority of those that God has placed other you, uh, over you, it silences those accusations. It silences those assumptions. And in that, you gain an audience. An audience that you can tell about Jesus. This is God's will. That by doing good, submitting to the government, being a good citizen, you will silence the ignorance of foolish men. When you refuse to submit to the government, when you refuse to submit to those who have authority over you, you're not hurting your own reputation. You are hurting the reputation of the church. You are hurting the reputation of her Lord. And you are closing doors to the gospel. Have you ever thought about it that way? Well, I don't care what people think about me. It doesn't matter. It's not about you. You are closing doors to the gospel. Remember your goal in all of this. It is not to protect your rights. It is to glorify your God. You are to submit for the Lord's sake. We saw earlier in chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, that giving in to worldly lusts, these worldly lusts, they, they, they war against your soul and it distorts the gospel. When you give in to worldly lusts, when you live as a citizen of this world, you distort the gospel. And the same thing is true when you don't submit as a, when you don't live as a good citizen. But instead, as we see in this passage, by doing good, by doing good works, you silence accusations and you open doors. So brothers and sisters, serve, submit, and serve well. In fact, not just serve well, but serve well with an agenda. Your agenda and your submission to the government, your, sub, your agenda to live as a good citizen is to open doors for the gospel. It is to praise the Lord with your life in the public sphere. It is to silence the ignorance of foolish men in order 
for the proclamation of the gospel to go forth. Peter goes on, verse 16, as, as free. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. This is really the mindset of a submissive Christian. It is to understand that I am free, right? Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set you free. This is who you are. You are free in Christ. You are free from the power and the penalty of sin. You are free from the futility of this world. And yet your freedom has a purpose. Don't waste your freedom as a cloak for vice. That's not freedom. That's slavery to sin. You're called to abstain from those fleshy lusts as we saw in verse 11. Rather, as free, you have a true purpose. You submit here not out of weakness, but out of strength. You are not bending to the will of the government. You are bending to the will of God. You are free in Christ, so live as a bondservant of God. It's a remarkable juxtaposition of freedom and that, that word bondservant is the idea of slavery. Freedom and slavery. You are free to serve. You are free to serve well. You are free to do good. You are free to fulfill the purpose of God for his glory. You are not a slave of this world. Because you have no hope in this world. You are not accountable to this world. But you are a slave of God. Your hope is tied to him and you are accountable to him. So use that freedom that you have in Christ to, as a slave of God, submit to the government, submit to those in authority for his sake. Finally, Peter closes with this call to honor in verse 17. Honor all people. Again, the idea of honor there, it's a general attitude that the Christian must have toward everyone. Show proper respect to everyone. To all people across the board. Show proper respect. What does that look like? He gives us three specific examples here. Loving the brotherhood, fearing God, honoring the king. Honoring all people looks like loving the brotherhood. Who do you think the brotherhood is? It's the church. It is your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love really takes that idea of honor and, and really move, moves it up to another level. 
This is not just show respect for one another, but love one another. Invest in one another. Submit to one another. All across the New Testament, we see call after call after call to love one another. In fact, you could do a study on on the one another's and you'd be at it for years. All across Scripture. How is it that we are to treat one another? It's summed up right here. Love the brotherhood. Secondly, not just loving the church, but fearing God. And that moves infinitely above the plane of loving others. We fear God because of who he is. In fact, it is this very fear of God that motivates our submission to every ordinance of men. It's not because we fear them. It's because we fear God. It's because we live in a reverent awe of God, of who he is, of all that he has done for us in Christ. And finally, honor the king. Honor the king. Not because of who he is, but because of the office that he holds. Honor the king. Those are a remarkable three words to find written in 1 Peter, given the context of this book. Because as Peter writes this, that's not a general command. That king has a name. As Peter writes, honor the king, that king's name is Nero. And it is that name, same Nero, who will execute Peter. It is that same Nero who will burn Christians in his garden for entertainment. It is that same Nero under whom the church experiences historic persecution. And yet Peter writes, honor the king. Brothers and sisters, our honor of the king is not based on who the king is. It's not based on his characteristics. It's not based on what he does. We honor the king because we fear the Lord. We honor the king because we are submitted to the Lord. We honor the king because we know that our sovereign God is in control. Even as Jesus told Pilate, Standing in his palace, you have no authority over me except that given to you by my father. The king has no authority except that given to him by God. So we honor the king because we fear the Lord. It's interesting that that same word honor, speaking of Father's Day, It's the same word that is used to describe how children should relate to their parents in Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 2. Children, honor your parents. It's an attitude of submission, even as we saw earlier, a disposition of obedience. 
So the same word is used here as is used in Ephesians 6, 1 to 2. Now I have a question for you. Ponder this this week. Why do you think that for the most part it is easy for us to accept the Bible's command to honor and obey our parents? But it is such a hard pill to swallow that we should honor and obey government authority. Why is 1 Peter 2, verses 13 to 17, why is that so provocative? But Ephesians 6, 1 to 2, we accept that. Of course, children should obey their parents. The Lord has placed them under that authority. Their parents are serving a purpose. Is that not exactly what this passage tells us? That we have been placed by God under the authority of the king, and he is serving a purpose. So brothers and sisters, understand this. That you are called to be a good citizen with a gospel-fueled agenda, and that agenda is God's glory. Understand that to live as a good exile in Christ is to live as a good citizen on earth. Remember your goal. Your goal is God's glory. And for that goal, be willing to lay aside everything else in the radical pursuit of God's glory. Fathers, do you model the honor and obedience that you expect from your children and the honor and obedience that you give to those in authority over you? Or do you expect honor and obedience, appealing to Ephesians 6, and then completely ignore a passage like 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17? If so, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. Yes, expect your children to honor and obey you. But you too are called to honor and obey. There is no exception clause here. It does not matter what the king's view or lack thereof is on immigration or guns. Even when the king is wrong, as our president and many of our leaders are blatantly wrong on issues regarding abortion and LGBTQ rights. So we take a stand where we must, and yet we still obey where we can. Their sin must not lead me to sin, but it is also true that their failure is not an excuse for me to fail in what God has called me to Now, we do have the unique privilege. The government system in which we find ourselves is different than the system in which Peter writes. So we have the unique privilege of living in a country where we have a say in our government. And in that case, part of being a good citizen in America is being an active citizen. Vote. Pray for your representatives. Write your representatives. You have the privilege to protest if you don't agree with something. To go out and to walk and to stand. To let your feelings be known. 
Do that. Know the issues. Know the candidates. Do all that you can. And then honor and submit in the outcome. And note this too. That honor is not just in what you do, but honor is also in how you talk about those in authority over you. How do you talk about President Biden in your home? How do you talk about Nancy Pelosi? How do you talk about those you just don't like or don't agree with? You know what? The Lord has placed them in authority over you. Honor them. Is it honoring you if your children do what you say? They submit to your rules in your household, but behind your back, they, just, they, they have a terrible nickname for you. They constantly tear you down. Is that honoring? No. That's not honoring. Brothers and sisters, be a good citizen. Know that your sovereign God is bigger than your government. I am not this morning denying that this is a tough pill to swallow. This is hard for us to accept. What I am saying is I know this this morning. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is good. Because this is God's word and this is God's will for us, even as this passage tells us. So brothers and sisters, go and be a good citizen. And understand that as you are a good citizen, you have an agenda to that. And your gospel-fueled agenda is God's glory. So go and be a good citizen.